We're going to continue our series. If you haven't been here at all, we're in week four, and next week we'll wrap it up. As long as I'm here, we'll wrap up our series called Cycle of Pain. We took the very first week and started in this passage, Genesis 29, looked at the story of Rachel and Leah. Uh, we were there again the following week, and then last week we were there for the first half, and then we went over to, I think it was in Luke, and looked at the story of Mary and Martha for the second half. I'm going to change up things a lot. We're not going to be at all in Genesis 29. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, Luke 23, and we're going to talk about this idea called over and over cycles. You might look at me and you say, Taylor, I have no idea what that is. Well, let me explain a little bit, hopefully with a story. Um, so when I was, when I graduated high school and I was working at Walmart here in Ashland, I worked this, this job. It was the best job I ever had because what I did is I worked 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 11 at night and I worked four days straight and then I get three days off. It was the best schedule I ever had. It stunk for those four days because you were there all day. Um, you get home at night and like, you know, it takes me, I don't know how you guys are, but it takes me like a while to like wind down. I can't just like come home and go to bed. Even if I'm tired, I got to like sit there for a little bit or read something or watch a video. So, you know, I go to bed at like one or two in the morning when I was working that and then I would get up and then it's pretty much like do some things and then get ready for work and do it again. So anyways, I don't know why you need to know all that, but I'm telling you anyways, free information. So I loved working this job, but then I started getting into this habit of uh, drinking Mountain Dew, okay? I love pop. If I could live off of pop, I would. I think um, if at the time you cut me open, I probably had Mountain Dew running through my veins uh, and stuff because I rarely ever drank water. Then I turned 25, and I need to drink water all the time because my stomach doesn't operate as well as it did. So, anyways... But I got in this bad habit of drinking Mountain Dew. And I'm talking bad. Like, you think bad and you go, okay, Taylor, you probably had a couple Mountain Dews. No, 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 no. Listen, I would go and I would buy the 24 packs. They'd be gone in two days. I mean, you're talking like 12 to 13 Mountain Dews a day. I would just crack them open, chug it, crack it open, chug it. And it was like two, three days, the whole 24 pack's gone. This isn't a bad habit. This is a seriously bad habit. And this went on for months. I just, and, I, I, and, and even worse than that, when we were in high school, if you know, we used to drink those, those Arizona tea cans. You ever see those are like a dollar? We, we built a pyramid of 2,100 tea cans, so we spent over $2,200 just in high school on tea cans. And yet, knock on wood, I've still not had a kidney stone. So we're good, um, but I've had so much sugar run through this body. But every time that I tried to get out of this habit, it would just like throw my body off. I mean, anything you do, once you get your body in a certain habit, trying to quit that is really hard to do. Same thing right now with coffee. I cannot go a day without coffee or I get a seriously bad headache because my body's so used to having coffee that it's gotten into this routine. And so over and over, I would drink a ton of Mountain Dew and then I'd buy another one and buy another one and buy another one and cheese balls. I like to eat cheese balls with my Mountain Dew. Side information, but cheese balls are really good. So, Mountain Dew and cheese balls. It was a bad habit. I couldn't break it. And it was one of those, like, every time you try to break it, you might get a little bit and you just go, ah, it'd be really good to get a Mountain Dew right now. 
or like, yeah, I'm getting a little agitated. It'd probably just be good to get some caffeine or I'm getting a little tired. And so instead of just like, hey, we'll find another way to like wake myself up. It's like, just go get another Mountain Dew. And cycles like this get really hard to break. It took me a long time of starting to go, okay, I actually probably really need to work on this so I don't end up throwing my body off at the age of 21 and, and have terrible issues because I drink 14 Mountain Dews a day. I need to get a solution to this. And so I did break it, but I still drink Mountain Dew and I'm not supposed to. Doctor says don't drink it, but I still drink it anyways. But it took a long time to try to substitute stuff in my life to be able to get to a point where I could say, I'm done with this. And that might seem like a very minute example in your life. You go, well, Taylor, it's just Mountain Dew. It can't really be that hard. Yeah, I probably over-exaggerate a little bit. But there's probably other cycles that you have in your life that are really hard to break. I think I've told this story before. Another bad habit I got into for a while was I was playing this game on my phone called Rules of Survival. And I would play with some of my buddies. And every night we would play till 2 or 3 in the morning. And I would still wake up at about 8 o'clock in the morning and I'd go to work. Well, when I tried to actually go to bed at like 9 or 10 o'clock, I couldn't do it. Because my body was so used to it. And that was a really hard habit to break. Because I had to force myself to not go. And part of it, I took a nap when I came home from work. So it didn't help. But I had to not nap at work so I could be tired enough to go to bed. And, and cycles like that get harder. Okay, that's another step up. I'll talk about another cycle, maybe about an addiction. Now you're getting a little personal, Taylor. Something that you've been trying to break for a long time now. You can't seem to break it. And so over and over and over again, you keep doing it. And you keep wondering, when am I ever going to break this? How am I ever going to break this? Over and over cycles are cycles that are not healthy for you and oftentimes are hard to break and maybe seem impossible. Pain often is the root of these cycles. Pain is often the root, and pain is often brought on when you continue to dive into these cycles. So not only is the root pain, then you've got more pain on top of the pain because of what you're doing. The whole, the whole idea of this series we've been going through is looking at the pain in our lives. These are trying to bring some relief to that pain, and they don't always do that. Something else that you can probably know if you go, Taylor, I don't really know like, if I have an over and over cycle in my life. Look at something in your life, and when you mess up or you do it wrong, you're probably pretty harsh on yourself. If you can pinpoint something like that, that's probably an over and over cycle. Something you beat yourself up over because you didn't do well, or you didn't do that right, or I failed. Maybe it's in like the academic realm. I didn't get... I didn't get an A, B, whatever it is on this. So you beat yourself up. It's probably a big indication that this is a cycle that you're in. And so I want to unpack this idea as we look at Luke 23. And it's going to be, you got to stick with this because it can seem confusing. But this main idea, over and over, can be over. Over and over can be over. So your over and over cycles can have an end to them can be broken. 
I'm going to show you a little bit. I can't give you the solution. I can't give you the exact things of how, how do I break these things? How do I get out of these things? I can't give you the exact solution because I don't know it. But I can hopefully lead you to a story here in Luke 23 that may seem a little odd to be leading you to, to hopefully get you to understand this. So Luke 23, we're going to look at about 10 verses. Real quick, Luke 23, 32. So just flip the numbers of the chapter, and that's the verse we're Luke 22, 23, 32 says this. Jesus, sorry, I'm in 34. Go up two more. Two other criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself if he really is God, the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called, they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above his head with the words, the king, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, aren't you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so here's, here's where we're at. If you're not too familiar with this passage, you're not too familiar with the scene, here's where we're at. Jesus has been led to go die on a cross. The pinnacle of our faith, the story of what we base everything on, this is where it's at. Jesus is going to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. While he's getting led up there, he's not the only one that's going to be dying on a cross today. Two other guys are going to be with him. Two criminals. We don't got names for them. They're just criminals. That's all they got. Or in other versions, your version might say thieves. Thieves, which is a little indication of where they're at in life. We got two criminals that are being led to a cross, probably because they have stole, robbed, whatever, one too many times. And then they got caught. We used to have these people, my dad would talk a lot about them because he works at Walmart too, but there, there used to be these people that were called like professional um, shoplifters. And I'm telling you, some of these people are insane with how they can just take things in plain sight. And so we would have to be very careful as we're like watching them and it's the whole thing. That's what these guys are like. You may not even pinpoint them as criminals. You look at them and you go, wow, they just look like normal people. But they're good at what they do. Yet they slipped up one time. And now they're caught. And now they're going to pay for their sin. Their wrongdoing. They're going to be nailed to a cross with Jesus. So this is the scene we're put in. You got two of them. You got one on this side hanging. You got Jesus in the middle hanging. And then you got another guy on the other side hanging. You got three guys up on a hill. Everybody's out there watching because that's where you came for entertainment. You didn't go to the movies. You didn't go to the fair. You didn't go to an amusement park back then. You went to watch people die. That was your entertainment. And not only did you go watch these people die, you usually brought your family too. So these little kids are watching these people die. People are scoffing, people are yelling, people are spitting, people are throwing insults. And so everybody's yelling at Jesus in the middle, and even the two guys on the end are. They're the ones that are paying for what they've done wrong. 
And they're hurling insults at Jesus. If you look at both the Gospel accounts, you look at Matthew and Mark, this story's in there as well. You can flip to those later, look at them later. Both of these accounts just tell them that they were hurling insults. That's it. Nothing else is mentioned about these criminals, but Luke goes a little deeper with these criminals. Luke, if you don't know, was a physician. That was his trade. He was a doctor. Doctors tend to be a little more detailed in how they do things, I would think, based on the doctors I go to. They're a little more detailed. So Luke's like, I can't just gloss over this. I got to go a little more detail in what's happening here. And so they're, they're hurling these insults and gives the deeper story. He says, here's really what I saw. I see them throwing insults. One way you can really know that you're in an over and over cycle is when you begin to project or you begin to fault find in other people. You say, Taylor, what what do you mean by that? Well, just look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing while they're on the cross. They're up there. They're hanging. They're finding the fault in Jesus. They're projecting their pain on Jesus, not on themselves. You want to know if you're in one of those cycles, have you ever projected, have you ever fault-find on other people? That, yeah, I may be bad, but they're definitely a lot worse than me. I had this buddy of mine in high school that my senior year, and those that are seniors probably know this feeling, um, but once you get, mine started at the beginning of the year, maybe even into my junior year. They call it senioritis. It is real. Don't think it's made up. It is real. At least I thought it was real, and I felt it. Basically, what the term of this is, is that as a senior, you're pretty much done with school, and so you pretty much give up. You don't really want to do anything. You don't want to do any work. So I had it about the end of my junior year and all my senior year. I had a buddy of mine that I'm pretty sure he hit it his freshman year. And so... He was, he, was, he was what I called school friend. He was a school friend. I talked to him a lot. I would consider him a friend, though, um, but never really hung out with him outside of school. And so he had some really bad senioritis. And so my whole senior year, I was really good at projecting when, when I would talk to my parents or something, why wasn't this assignment done? Well, why didn't you do good on this test? I go, yeah, yeah, mom. But, but, but if you look at it, he didn't even do the work. I at least turned it in. He didn't even do the work. We sat down in my senior year, and I was in pre-calc. Um, worst class I ever took. Finished with a C. Couldn't do it. I'm surprised I even finished with a C. Took pre-calc. I'm telling you, one of the tests, their hand, she's handing out the test to all of us. Teacher's handing out the test. And the, this kid is sitting right next to me. We're good buddies. And he just he looks at her, and he says, there's no point to hand the test out. I'm not going to get any right. And she said, well, you've got to take the test and try and his, he's like, no, I'm not going to do the test. And so she hands them all out. And so he writes his name on the top and hands it back to her. And says, there you go. That's how bad he was. I mean, he just didn't, he didn't even try. Didn't even do any work. Didn't answer a single question. Put his name on the top and it right back to her. So I go, yeah, you look at me and I may not be doing a couple homework assignments, but at least when I did the test, I tried. He's a lot worse than me. Every class that he's in, he's doing work for days because he hasn't done work all year. I remember the whole last like two weeks of the year, he's doing all these assignments 
just to graduate because he hadn't done anything all year. And so when you compare me to him, I'm not as bad as him because I'm doing the work. I may not be getting them all right, and they may just be like C's or D's, but at least I'm doing them. He's not even turning work in. He's not even completing things, and you begin to project. Well, yeah, I, I may be mean to people, but I'm not like other people who's out there killing somebody. Taylor, wow, that just got real. Yeah. Or, yeah, I, I might take things once in a while from people, but I don't, I don't steal like this person. You ever out there projecting, finding faults with somebody? Well, they can't ever do anything right. That's what these criminals are doing. They're, st- they're, they're, they're hanging here on the cross, and they're projecting their pain on Jesus. They're in these over and over cycles of continuing to steal. They can't get out of it. They keep getting, getting in trouble. They may have gone to jail a few times, but they can't get out of their over and over cycle. They've been trying to break it. They can't break it, so they're just accepting it as a lifestyle. And so now they're projecting their pain on Jesus by finding fault or projecting it on him. And you say, how are they doing that? They're sitting there as Jesus is hanging there, mocking him. Well, you really think you're the king of the Jews? Why don't you save yourself? Prove you can get down from here. There's some real pain there. They want Jesus to show them that he says who he is, that he needs to act on that. Yeah, we know we can't get ourselves free, but you claim you can. Get down and save us while you're at it. That seems like some pain. That seems like some projecting to me. And so they keep going at it, though, because it it never satisfies. whole time they're just throwing these insults because when you begin to fault find or project or insult somebody and never satisfies so you have to keep continuing to do it and it ends up becoming a lifestyle you have a lifestyle of always insulting people because i want to try to find the satisfaction because they're a lot worse than me but it never satisfies so they just keep going they keep going and a whole time imagine this from jesus you're sitting or standing there hanging there on the cross, in pain. This isn't a joyous ride like he just got his arms tied with ropes over this thing and he's just hanging there. No, he's got nails pierced through his hands, hanging there, slowly suffocating and dying, and people are throwing insults at him, and not a word was said from Jesus. He just keeps praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And and, and what I've heard is this was a prayer that was used many times over from a lot of people that died for their faith. Father, forgive them. You want to talk about having a true love for your enemies, try praying this before you're about to die by them. Jesus keeps praying this over and over and over. Have you ever been in like a situation where something's really hard and somebody just keeps annoying you and you just snap at them? I think about that a lot when, when I used to, my dad would do this to me all the time. I'd be outside helping him with something, whether it's like lifting 
these bricks or lifting wood or something. And he just keeps like saying stupid things to me. And I just turn around and yell at him because it's like, it's already so hard as it is. And I'm in pain. Would you just be quiet so I can focus? It's like, wouldn't you imagine if Jesus is standing there and they're yelling all these things, he would just want to yell like, shut up. Let me just hang here. I'm already dying for nothing I ever did. And you guys are just yelling all these things. Yet that's not what he does. He hangs there as the criminals are mocking him. But then something happens. Something happens in their over and over cycle that they didn't think they could break. Go down to back, back down to verse 39. He says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs. So you're the Messiah. Aren't you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it? We get this. You're in your over and over cycle. Now you're projecting your pain on him. You say you can do this, do it. But then we got the other criminal. The other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this guy is yelling. All of a sudden, this guy over here says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? We're all hanging here. The two on the ends, we deserve to die. This guy has done nothing wrong. If I'm standing there, I'm going, what happened to this guy? Moments ago, he's hurling insults. His whole entire life, he's been a criminal. And all of a sudden, something happens. He sees something. He feels something. Something happens on the cross that now he can't join in with the other criminal, yet he rebukes him. He says, you got to stop, bud. We deserve to die for what we did. This guy has done nothing wrong, yet he's hanging here. There's something different about this guy. And my mind starts to begin to go, what did this guy see? What did this guy hear that all of a sudden he started to change his tune a little bit? That he's not going to join in with everybody else. He's going to begin to start to see Jesus for who he really is. What happened? I don't know. Because like I mentioned before, when, when you're hanging there... I'm not going to get too much into detail, but when you're hanging there on a cross, what would happen is your lungs would fill up with blood, and that's how you would suffocate and then die. That was the whole reason that they did that. It was a very slow and painful death. And so one of the most painful things that you could do when you were hanging there is talk. One of the most painful things you could do is talk. So this man, not only were they hurling insults, but yet says, stop. And begins this conversation with the other criminal. One of the most painful things to do to tell him that this guy doesn't deserve what you're telling him. He doesn't deserve to feel your projection of pain. He doesn't deserve to feel that you are in this cycle and you deserve to die for what you've done. He didn't, he didn't do anything. He's not in a cycle like you. You're just throwing everything on him. You need to realize this guy's different. He's not like us. He didn't do anything wrong. And he says all this, probably in pain, probably comes out a little winded like this. But he has the strength to do it. What does he see? Jesus can be so compelling 
that you can be in the most pain of your life. And He forgives and loves you and it draws you away from that pain. This criminal saw it. He says, man, I'm in some serious pain in my life. This cycle, I've tried to beat my entire life. I have had a messed up life. I've made dumb mistakes. I've made bad decisions. Yet when I saw this guy, when I saw the love pour out of him, when I saw the forgiveness pour out of him, it draws me away from my pain enough to go, there's something different about this guy. Have you ever had an experience like that? I used to do these things, we called them theological fires. Something very similar to that. Um, may not be the exact wording, but we would have these fires every Thursday night with a group of guys. A group of guys, we had these fires every night. Sometimes there would be some other people that would come, and we'd sit there and we'd discuss all these different theological things. Probably a waste of time, but it was energizing. It was good. We are building each other up. This was when I was in uh, the end of high school, beginning of college, and I really wasn't following Jesus, and so there was a lot of pain in my life. There was a lot of decisions I was making and roads I was going down that was very painful in my life because of what I was doing, yet when I went to these places, I was drawn away from the pain. Why? Because Jesus met us there. Jesus was in those conversations, so I was drawn away from that pain. Even the most painful parts of my life happened in those years, yet when I was a part of these things... Jesus pulled me away from that pain. Maybe you've had somebody die in your life. Maybe you've had uh, a, an addiction, a struggle that's really been painful and hurt a lot of people in your life. Even in those painful moments, Jesus can pull you away. He can help you to focus away from the pain. He helped this criminal do it. He's in pain hanging there. His lungs are filling up with blood, yet he gets him to talk, to not only talk but rebuke the other guy. And what's very interesting to me, and I'm bringing it to a close here and wrapping up, what's interesting to me is what this criminal says. It's not only that he rebukes the other criminal, but did you catch what he said? Right here in verse 42. After he's done yelling at the other guy, say, stop projecting your pain on Jesus. He did nothing wrong. He says, then he turns to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Does he, remember, does he realize who he's talking to? This is Jesus. Jesus created him. Jesus knows how many hairs he's got on his head. Jesus knows every decision that he's made in his life. Jesus knows his first, middle, and last name. Jesus knows his parents' name, first, middle, and last name. Jesus knows all his goats' names. Jesus knows everything about this guy. And he turns to Jesus to tell him, remember me. Jesus can't forget him. Jesus will never forget him. Jesus will never forget anybody. He doesn't realize who he's talking to. He's kind of telling Jesus something that's already happening. Jesus will never forget him. He knows everything. He says, remember me. Then Jesus responds with one that you've probably heard, or a phrase that you've heard before. I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. The conversion of this man. Jesus is hanging there. 
in pain. These guys are in pain. Yet Jesus is still focused on the hearts of people. I can get convicted just by looking at that sentence. We're out here concerned with everything else that's going on. All the different issues in our world. Yet we're not concerned about the hearts of people. Jesus is about to die and is still leading people to Jesus. And this guy says, remember me. What did he see? What did he see in this guy? Because if it took death to not even stop the other criminal from his over and over cycles, what changed this guy that's probably been working with the other guy for a long time? You know what I think it is? You know what I think can break that cycle? Because often we say we can't break the cycle. But if a criminal can do it on his deathbed, why can't you? Why can't you stop the cycle? Why can't you stop doing what you've been trying to quit forever? If he can do it, you can do it too. And we're always told, you know, you just need to suppress the cycle. We're never actually going to beat it. But, but if we just kind of push it back, we may go back into it sometimes. Or you need to really hate the cycle in order to not do it anymore. But then what we end up doing is really hating ourselves, not the cycle anymore. So, man, I'm supposed to hate what I'm doing. Yeah, I hate myself because I keep messing up and doing it. So we hear all these different things and we go, how do we actually break it? And then we see a criminal break it. What did he see? I think what he saw were a couple of things. I think he saw forgiveness. I think he saw forgiveness being poured out on that cross as he's continuing to pray, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus isn't concerned with what everybody else is saying. He's concerned with how the Father is. And the Father's heart's probably breaking for these people that they don't see who this guy really is. These people don't really see Jesus for who he is. They just see him as another man. If they began to see him for who he really was, there might be a change. I think it was the love that was poured out on that cross that this guy saw love exude. I couldn't even, I can't think of. Exerted? Exerted. I think there was another word I was going to say too, but that wasn't it. But exerted, that's what I wanted to say. Exerted. Love exerted out here on the cross as these two guys are dying for this person. This guy saw something in Jesus that was different than everybody else, and it changed his life. When you begin to see Jesus for who Jesus really is, a loving, caring, forgiving Savior of your life, you'll begin to break your over and over cycles. The problem is we don't see Jesus for who it is, so we dig ourselves deeper in pain. I got pain in my life, so I start into an addiction. Well, now I can't break the addiction because it's an over and over in cycle. And so I believe Jesus forgave me for my sins, but do I really believe who Jesus is? He cares about every detail of your life. He wants to see you be the best you you can be, and the best you you can be is when you're so in love with him. Will you see Jesus like the criminal saw Jesus? Where he stood there, And he said, man, there's something different about this guy. He doesn't deserve to die for his sins. He loves, he cares, he forgives. If that's the way you begin to see Jesus, I promise you, your cycles will begin to get resolved. Your over and over cycles can be over.
It's like this. This is what happens in our life. See this water bottle here? It's not really a water bottle. But it's a water bottle. What happens in our life with these over and over cycles is we keep trying to break them and we can't do it. So if you've seen this, just pretend like you haven't seen it. So this, is our, this is our over and over cycle. Okay? We're told to break these. We can't break it. We keep trying to break it and we fail. Just like me telling you, okay, come up here and try to get this dollar out from underneath without touching the bottom. You're probably going to come up here. You're going to go like this. You're going to go, no, that's not going to work. Well, maybe we could go this way. No, that's not going to work either. And so this is what happens. We keep trying to keep quit these over and over cycles in our life. We're like, ah, i got to break it and I can't do it. Ah, maybe if I do it this way, it'll break it. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. If you just see me for who I really am, that I care, that I will forgive you, that I'll always be there no matter what you do, Jesus comes along and he starts to break that over and over cycle. And what begins to happen is he does stuff a little differently. See, now I can get the dollar out from underneath without touching the bottle. Because when you push the dollar, it pushes the water bottle off the dollar. And then all of a sudden... I get the dollar. Your cycle's broken. Jesus does things a little differently. He ain't trying to pull the dollar out quick enough so the water bottle doesn't fall. He says, no, 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 no. When you just see how much I love you, see how much I care for you, I'll get the dollar bill out. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of that over and over cycle. You've been doing it all wrong. Once you begin to see how it really works, how you can really do it, things change. You get the dollar bill out. When you see Jesus for who he really is, your cycle will be over. The question is, how do you see Jesus? Do you see a God that loves you and cares for you? Or do you keep trying to break these cycles on your own, pulling the dollar bell out and the bottle keeps falling over? Over and over, cycles can be over. Let me pray for you guys.